um, sort of a chatting with and praying about and things like that. And we really do feel, though, this morning that what, Nat- what God has placed on Natalie's heart will be really helpful for us today. As she was chatting through it with me on Friday and uh, I had the opportunity of getting an advanced preview of it, um, it certainly stirred my heart and I believe it's going to be so very helpful for us today. It's a mixture of testimony and teaching. There's a mixture of both things in there and I believe that it's going to very much minister to us um, as a congregation. It's going to minister to us as a people, and we are going to be looking for a response at the end. And the reason I say that now is because if you're anything like me, you don't like surprises. And you'd much rather know now that we'll be looking for a response at the end. So just as Natalie is speaking, as she opens up her heart, and shares about what's going on in her as well as what it says in the Word of God. I want you to open your hearts wide to her and drink in everything that God has got for you through what she shares. She's a real gift to us, isn't she? Yeah? Why don't we receive her really warmly and encourage her as she comes? Morning. As Paul said, uh, we're in this season of hungering after God, and what that means is that we are taking some time out to actively pursue him and wanting to know him better, wanting individually and collectively to grow in our prayerfulness, in our intimacy with God, our expectation of what he might do among us, and our obedience to him as well. And when I first heard that we were going to go into this season, which was um, some time ago, I started to think about... What stops me from pursuing God wholeheartedly? Um, I'm someone who loves God. He has utterly transformed my life. Um, He's rescued me countless times um, from situations and from myself a lot of the time as well. And yet, even after 23 years of being a Christian, uh, with many ups and downs, even after all I've seen of God, all I've seen of his goodness... There are times where I still don't hunger after him, if I'm honest. There are times when I'm a bit apathetic, a bit lazy. Maybe I'm a bit busy or I'm distracted. Um, But as someone who loves God and who genuinely wants to know him better, I just wonder why this is. Why don't I always just long for God? So I started thinking about kind of what stops me from hungering for food, you know, in the natural. And if you put a plate of my favorite food in front of me, what would stop me eating it? And I realized that there's probably only two things. One of them would be if I'd filled up with other stuff, if I'd been distracted from the main course by sweets and snacks, which is something that easily happens to me. Um, And the other would be if I was sick. Um, For me, often I don't lose my appetite if I'm physically ill. But I do lose it if I'm emotionally distressed or if I kind of am feeling in some sort of emotional pain. And in Proverbs, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when I'm heart sick, I'm not hungry. So one of the things that causes my heart to be sick and what I want to talk to us about this morning is disappointment. Is hope deferred which is what the verse says. And if I'm honest with you, I think the biggest struggle of my Christian life has been disappointment with God. 
And actually, it's something that I'm continuing to work through. It's something that um, I think is a lifelong thing of dealing with disappointment with God. And over the years, it's taken many different forms and it's looked very different. Sometimes it's just been a general sense of disappointment that life isn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. You know, when I was a teenager, I thought that I was going to change the world. I haven't done that yet. And I'm not sure if I will. But so sometimes it's just this general sense of disappointment because I thought life was going to be something that it isn't. I thought daily life would be really exciting. And most days it's just carrying on with the mundane stuff that we all have to do. Um, I've been disappointed that I still struggle with some of the same things that I've been struggling with for years. Um, insecurities, things about my temperament, things about the way I think. I've thought, well, come on, God, why aren't you changing me? And there's been this sense of disappointment. But sometimes it's been very specific as well. Sometimes disappointments come with the death of a loved one, um, where people I've been praying for. There'll be many among you who I've been praying for for years, for healing or for breakthrough, and haven't seen it. And there's disappointment in my life that God hasn't brought along the perfect man. A guy who looks like Brad Pitt, but, you know, prays a lot, something like that. (laughs) And, you know, disappointment that, if I'm honest, I still struggle regularly with seasons of depression. And I've really said to God, when are you going to bring the breakthrough? When when is this going to be over? And I've been disappointed. And as I approach this season of hungering after God, um, I've really wanted to talk about this subject of disappointment, to share a bit of my story and, and a few of the things that have helped me to experience breakthrough in this area, because I think that disappointment is rife. You know, many of you who are my friends, I speak to you and I know that disappointment with God isn't something that I'm alone in feeling. And I think for some of us, we don't feel that we can talk about it. We think, well, I'm a Christian, surely I can't talk about disappointment with God. You know, for me, I think, well, I work for the church. Surely I can't feel disappointment in God. But I think it's rife and I think we need to talk about it and I think we need to be honest about it. And sometimes we're afraid to even be honest about it with ourselves. But if we don't admit that that's how we feel, then we can't deal with it. And if it's left buried and not dealt with, disappointment will grow really, really deep roots in our lives. And it's impossible to hunger after God if you're disappointed with him. Because disappointment isn't a neutral thing. It's attached to things that we believe about God. It's attached to things that we believe about ourselves. When I'm disappointed that God doesn't do something I want him to do, I'm either believing a lie about God or I'm believing a lie about myself. Maybe I'm believing that God doesn't care, that God isn't interested. Or maybe I'm believing that I have a right to see certain things happen in my life. Both of those things are lies. A disappointment with God implies that he should have done something differently. So when we're disappointed in him, we won't expect much from him. It will be a barrier to our intimacy with him. It will hinder our prayer lives and it will eventually hinder our obedience to him too. I have real faith for breakthrough this morning. I really do. And part of it comes from admitting that we've been disappointed and being prepared to deal with it. And as Paul said, there's going to be an opportunity to respond at the end. um, As I don't think I'm alone in feeling this. I think many of us are going to want to deal with this this morning. So I just want to be really honest with you to start with and say that probably for the most part of this year, I've felt an acute sense of disappointment with God. And I've wondered if it's okay for me to say that out loud. I've wondered if I should admit it. I've wondered at some points I've got so disappointed in myself for feeling disappointment at God. So I'm disappointed with my disappointment. And I do feel like I've been a Christian for years. Shouldn't I be beyond this now? 
Shouldn't I have moved on from it? And like I say, I work for the church and I've got leadership responsibility. So how can I say that I'm disappointed with God? But I've realized in recent weeks that I've had this lingering sense of God, but mainly because I didn't deal with something 10 years ago that happened. So 10 years ago, my nan died. Uh, She was fit and healthy. She was in her 70s, but she was, yes, many of you would have known her because she became a Christian in the last few years of her life and came along to church. And she was fit and healthy and suddenly she got ill and, you know, it was just a bug, but she didn't seem able to shake it. It just didn't seem to go away. And she just got progressively more sick and ended up in hospital. And within a few days of her being in hospital, I think most of us realized that she was probably going to die. And she'd become a Christian a few years earlier, so I felt like a peace about her dying. But I started to pray, God, if this is going to end in death, please let it come quickly so that she's not in too much pain and so that she doesn't suffer too much. I absolutely love my nan. She uh, was probably the person I was closest to in my whole extended family. I was so thrilled when she became a Christian, when she got baptised, and If she was going to die, I wanted her to be as pain-free and as free of suffering as possible. So I just prayed that prayer, God, if she's going to die, if this is going to end in death, let it come quickly. My nan was in hospital for 11 and a half weeks, and then she died. I visited her almost every day, and on every car journey to the hospital, I prayed, God, if she's going to die, let her die quickly. And every time I was with her, I prayed that prayer. And on every car journey home, I prayed that prayer. And so I worked it out this morning, and I reckon I prayed the same prayer over 200 times. And God didn't answer it in the way I wanted him to, because the sickness just lingered and lingered and lingered. And she was in quite a lot of pain. And for 11 and a half weeks, we sat in the hospital. She couldn't talk. I don't know what was going on in her head. And it was horrible. And I was like, God, why aren't you answering this prayer? What is the point of this? What is the point of her just being here for 11 weeks and not dying quickly if she's just going to die in the end? And like I say, God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. And I don't know why. And that was 10 years ago and I still don't know why. But I realise now that disappointment crept in at that point. And actually it was quite subtle. I didn't necessarily realise that I was really disappointed in God. Um, And so I didn't deal with it and I didn't admit it and I didn't want to talk about it or even acknowledge it to myself. So it was really subtle and it crept in and it's lingered ever since. And then for me, it reached a crunch point a few months ago um, in June when a really good friend of mine died and I wasn't expecting it. Uh, She was my best friend from the age of 16 to 19. And when we first met, I'd only been a Christian for about a year and I was very zealous and I was very in your face about my faith. And I used to talk to her about my faith all the time and I'd be like you need to know about Jesus. Jesus is amazing. And I was, yeah, I was pretty full on. And, but she was a really zealous atheist. So um, she was just as full on as me, but about her atheism. And so we used to have a lot of arguments, a lot of debates. And actually, it was a lot of fun. I think we kind of really enjoyed it. And I prayed for her a lot. And actually, I prayed for her way more than I prayed for my nan, probably. I couldn't even count up the number of times I prayed for this particular friend. And I genuinely believed that she was going to become a Christian. I believed that God had promised that to me. I believed it. I look back at my diary from that year and it's pretty cringeworthy, but it's all about, yeah, God, yeah, I know what you're going to do here. She's going to become a Christian. It's going to be amazing. And anyway, over the years, we had some ups and downs. We stayed friends. We stayed in touch. We weren't particularly close towards the end. But at the start of this year, she was suddenly on my mind a lot. 
I started to think about her a lot. So I started sending her messages on Facebook just saying, hey, how are you doing? You're on my mind. And I didn't hear back from her at all. And I knew that she'd had cancer a few years earlier, but she'd got the all clear as far as I knew and was doing well. Um, so I had no idea that she might be dying. I started to get a sneaking suspicion, though, that she must be sick because I hadn't heard back from her. But I chatted to people about it. You know, I chatted to friends about it. And I was like, I know that if she's dying, I'll hear from her and I'll have another opportunity to talk to her or to pray with her or to just tell her that I love her and, yeah, that sort of thing. And so I was in an evening meeting here when I got a message from her dad asking me to call him. And I knew immediately that it wasn't going to be good news. And so I called her dad and basically said she died this morning. And in that instant, I felt so disappointed in God. Obviously, I felt grief. Obviously, I felt a whole load of things. But the overriding thing for me was just this acute sense, this overwhelming sense of disappointment with God because I totally expected something different to happen. I had no anticipation that this was the way it was going to end. And obviously, with death, it's so final as well. There's nothing more to pray. There's nothing more to say about it. And what happened next was that suddenly all I could see was this mountain of unanswered prayers in my life. Suddenly this sense of disappointment struck so deep in me that all I could think about was all the things I've prayed over the years that God has not answered in the way that I wanted him to. All the things, you know, from wanting to get married and not getting married, from wanting to not go through seasons of depression and yet finding it comes round time and time again, for praying for friends for breakthrough in their lives about situations they face and it not going the way I want it to go. And suddenly that was all I could see. And I got to a point the day after I found out that my friend died where I think I basically turned around to Joe and said, I'm not praying for anything anymore. I will not ask God for things anymore because he doesn't do what I want. And I actually got to a point where I basically said, God never answers my prayers. Of course that's not true. If God hadn't answered any of my prayers in 23 years, I'm sure that, you know, I probably wouldn't still be coming along to church. I probably still wouldn't be worshipping him. Of course he's answered many of my prayers over the years. But I basically got to a point where I said to God, you know, God, you didn't do it my way, and I'm pretty sure my way's better than your way. So if you're not going to do it my way, I'm not going to ask you for things anymore. And the good thing is, being surrounded by brilliant friends and being in a brilliant church like this, that I couldn't really stay in that place for long. Um, quite quickly I was like, do you know what? I know this is stupid. I know that I'm acting like a child and throwing my toys out the pram and having a bit of a drop at God. Um, so the decision not to pray for things didn't really last long, partly as well because I'd promised various people that I'd pray for them. So I felt like, okay, I better do that then. Um, through gritted teeth some of the time, if I'm honest. But like I say, I realised that I'd been disappointed with God actually about a lot of things. And a lot of that had taken root in my life because I hadn't dealt with it. And I realized that if I didn't deal with it at that point, it was just going to grow and fester. And it ultimately, it was going to shipwreck my faith. And so I took some time out this summer to kind of just reconnect with God. But if I'm honest, it was more about wrestling with God. It was more about going to God and saying, I don't understand. Why, God, have you not done what I wanted? A lot of the things I've asked you for, God, are good things. Why wouldn't you do them? And so I took some time out to actually just spend time with God and ask him, these questions and be really real with him and really honest with him. And actually, the first day of it, I think I just spent the whole day crying. 
I think I spent the whole day just crying and saying to God, I don't understand this and I don't understand that. And the more situations I thought of, the more other ones seemed to come to mind as well. And just really started to process it. And during the process, I really think there's been three kind of antidotes to my disappointment that have emerged. And I don't think it's the case that, you know, you kind of get this moment where God hits you and it's all okay and I'll never be disappointed in God again. But I have experienced the degree of breakthrough that I'm in faith that others can experience this morning as well. So during this process, the three antidotes, the first one is a bit grim and you may not like it. The first one is that I realised I needed to die. I realised I just needed to die to some stuff. Western Christianity so often says to us, come to Jesus and he'll fix all your problems. Come to Jesus and he'll make your life perfect. Your life will be wonderful if you come to Jesus. That isn't what the Bible says. Actually, one of the things that Jesus promised us is that in this world you'll have trouble. Jesus was under no illusions that our lives were going to be perfect and rosy if we came to him. And so real Christianity, actually, the gospel says, come to Jesus and you will have trouble. You will have hardship. Jesus said, carry your cross daily. Jesus didn't say that Christianity is easy. And it isn't. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll totally know that. Um, but what Jesus does say that is, if you die to your own desires, if you die to your own dreams, your own ambition and give everything to him, he will give you true life that satisfies regardless of your circumstances. So I can live in disappointment that God hasn't done something I wanted, or I can die to what I wanted and gain everything in Jesus. Disappointment with God implies that he should have done something differently. And we can easily believe the lie that God owes us something, or that we have a right to something. But God isn't like Father Christmas. God isn't Um, like someone we go, look at all my good behavior. And sometimes I do this. I say to God, but I've been praying a lot and I've been reading my Bible and I've been going to church and I've been being a generally good person. I've not been gossiping. I've been being nice to people. And I can go, God, look at all this stuff I've done. So why aren't you giving me what I want? But Jesus isn't like Father Christmas. He's not like you go, here's my list of how good I've been. Now give me my presents. It doesn't work like that. We can't point to our good behaviour and insist on getting what we want as if we deserve it or have earned it, because we don't. For many of us, myself included, we can go through life thinking, life will be great when X happens, or when Y happens to me, or when this problem is sorted out. And I feel really challenged recently, because a lot of the songs we sing are about Jesus being enough. And I feel like sometimes I sing these songs, you know, we sing them, you're all I want, you're all I need, and I'm singing them thinking, are you? If I'm honest, is Jesus enough for me? Sometimes my answer to that is no, by my actions and my behaviour. And we've got Angela Kem coming to speak here in a couple of weeks' time. I'm so excited that she's coming, and I had the privilege of spending some time with her recently. And she really challenged me on this. She said to me, if God never does what you want him to do in this area of your life, what will you do? And I was just like, oh, well... I said, my honest answer is I'll probably moan about it, if I'm honest, but I will keep following him. I will keep loving God. And she pointed out to me that if I'm going to keep following God anyway, then I may as well settle it in my heart right now to be okay with the things that I don't have. And I was just like, yeah, that's really obvious, but I kind of hadn't seen it. And so she challenged me to die to some of the things that I hope for and some of the things I dream about and some of the things I aspire to and I long for. She said to me, can you say to God, even if this never changes, 
you're still God and you're still good and I'll still follow you and I'll still love you. And dying sounds grim. Dying, saying to God, do you know what, God? If you never give me the perfect husband, that's okay. If you never take me out of seasons of depression, that's okay. If you never heal that friend of mine, that's okay. Dying to it and saying, Jesus, you're still worth following, even if I don't get the things I want. It sounds a bit grim, but it's so liberating. I have found it so releasing, so freeing. Because the purpose of death in, in the gospel is life. The purpose of death isn't pain and suffering. It's not that Jesus wants to take things away from me. It's not that Jesus wants me to be miserable. The purpose of dying to these things is that it brings life. And obviously the ultimate example of this is Jesus, who died And his death was the darkest day in history. You know, his disciples would have been like, what's going on? You're supposed to be the saviour of the world, and you've just died. And for three days he was dead, but he had to die so that he could rise again and bring life to us. Life that is satisfying and fulfilling regardless of our circumstances. Jesus said that um, when a seed falls to the ground and dies, what follows is much fruit. And I read this quote on Facebook that I just really love, which says... For a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks and the insides come out and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. And it's true, isn't it? That's what happens to a seed. Complete destruction happens so that growth and life can come. And when we die to all the temporary things that we put our hope in and that we put our identity in, The door opens so that we can find eternal things that we can put our hope and identity in with confidence. Because the problem is so much of the time we put our identity in the things that we long for, in our relationship status or in our career or in what we have or don't have. But actually all of those things are temporary and all of them can be taken away from us and we have no control over whether we have them or not. So it's better to die to them and put our hope in the things that are eternal and the things that will endure forever, and the things that can't be taken away from us. And dying involves giving up our right to understand why things happen the way they happen. I think for me that's probably been the hardest thing, is dying to feeling like I have a right for God to answer me. Feeling like I have a right to say, why God? I go, I've gone from saying, God, you, shouldn't, you should have done it my way, to God, you're good and you know better than me. And it's a really hard place to get back, but I love this quote. I read this online. It says, one day you may look back on your disappointment as the best thing that never happened to you. And we just don't know the big picture, but God does. And the second thing after dying is gazing upon God. For me, that's been so much of getting through this season of disappointment. And when we look at um, Job, a guy in the Bible... Um, He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost all his possessions. He lost his health. He was in probably a worse situation than many of us will ever face. And deeply disappointed, he says to God, when I hoped for good, evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. And so often we can feel like that. We hope for good things and it seems like evil comes. And we hope for light and it seems that things get darker and darker. But God's answer to Job wasn't to explain himself. Job was saying to God, why is this happening? Why is it happening that way? I don't understand. And God didn't come to him and say, okay, let me explain it to you. 
God just came to him and said, this is who I am. God didn't come to him and say, let me show you why this happened. God came to him and said, let me show you who I am and also who you are. And the Bible says that one of the ways we throw off the things that hinder us in our faith, like disappointment can, is that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so one of the ways I tackled my disappointment with God, and I keep tackling it, was by fixing my eyes on Jesus, on who he is, rather than what he can do for me. And actually, I approached this season of hungering after God. I was thinking things like, maybe at the end of the 40 days, my prayer life will be amazing. So, you know, for 23 years, I've always thought I should have a prayer life where I get up at 6 a.m. and I pray for two hours a day and it'll all be glorious. And in 23 years, I've never managed to do that consistently. I don't think I've ever managed to do that even for a fortnight consistently in 23 years. So I was, but I was thinking, you know, we're going into a season of hungering after God. So surely at the end of it, I'll suddenly miraculously be someone who gets up at six and prays like that. Um, I also thought, well, you know, what will probably happen is these areas of my character, these insecurities I've been struggling with. Actually, by the end of the 40 days, maybe God will have done them. He'll have sorted them out. He'll have broken through and I'll be transformed and it'll be amazing. And I just felt God say to me before we started the season that if you approach it like that, you're going to be disappointed. Because I was setting targets and goals and God was saying this season's about pursuing me. It's not about targets and goals. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about sorting out or fixing. It's about coming to know Jesus better. And the fact is that Jesus has never promised to take away all of my problems. He's never promised me life will be trouble-free or pain-free. He's never said, come to me and I'll give you what you want. He's not like a genie where we kind of rub a lamp and he grants us whatever three wishes we want. But who he is, is the creator of everything. He's the creator of everything that exists. He's the one who holds everything together. He's the one who gives you your breath every morning when you wake up. He's the one who gives you life. And he's the one who died on a cross for you and for me. And so what he has promised is not that my circumstances will change. Not that... Um, life will always be what I want it to be. But he promises that he'll always be there with me in the midst of my circumstances. He promises me that I can have peace in situations where it would seem impossible to have peace. He promises me that even if my own mum and dad reject me, he will continue to love me and he will never reject me. He says in the Bible, he will never leave me and never forsake me. And actually that's been my story I might look back and go, God, you haven't answered all these prayers. But my story, truthfully, is Jesus has been the one who has never forsaken me, even when family have, even when friends have. Jesus has been the one who's given me strength when I've felt weak. He's been the one who's given me hope when I'm in utter despair and I feel like there's no way out. He's been the one who's given me peace when I'm afraid. Jesus is amazing. And following him will actually cost you everything. He demands everything from you. He says, come and give me everything. And then he doesn't give you any guarantee that life will be rosy and fine and all plain sailing. But he's worth following for his own sake, not for what he can do. He's the only one who can give you peace with God, ultimately. He's the only one who can cleanse your conscience where you struggle with guilt. He's the only one whose love for you doesn't waver or flicker, but is totally steadfast and totally abundant. It won't run out and leave you, and it won't run out as in you can't exhaust it. He's the only one, actually, whose love for you doesn't change depending on what you do or what you don't do. It never changes from hour to hour. Like, I know sometimes I feel overwhelming love for people in my life, 
But other times I don't feel it as strongly. Jesus isn't like that. He feels the same amount of love, constant and unfailing no matter what, regardless of whether you accept him or reject him, actually. So he doesn't promise you an easy life now, but he does offer you eternal life with him in perfect peace, perfect justice, and perfect love. All the things that we long for in this life can be found in Jesus. And he's the only one who knows you completely. Every thought you have, everything that you're ashamed of, everything you've done that you wish you hadn't, every thought you've had where you think, if people knew that I thought like that, oh my goodness, would I have any friends left? But he knows it. And he loves you completely anyway. And so when I took time out to deal with my disappointment and fix my eyes on Jesus rather than what I want him to do for me, I rediscovered that he's more than enough for me. That the truth is that I may not understand why this happened or why that happened. I don't understand why my nan died the way she did. I don't understand why my friend died without me having an opportunity to talk to her one last time. But what I do know is that Jesus is good. He is good and he is just and he is loving. And that even if my circumstances never change and I never get the things that I ask him for, even if those prayers never get answered in the way that I want him to answer them, he is still completely worthy of all my adoration, all my affection and all my devotion. And I think that just the final thing that I want to say is the other thing that's really helped me is making sure that I'm thanking God for the great things in my life. Because it's so easy for us to fixate on the things we don't have. It's so easy for them to preoccupy our minds and take our attention. But actually, there's so much that's good in my life. I can spend my time thinking about those unanswered prayers, or I can spend my time thinking about, do you know what? My life's pretty good. And the things that have helped me going to India and Kenya this year really helped me with that, because you realize, like, just what I've got a home. I've got friends and family who love me. I've got food. I've got clothing. And actually, sometimes God doesn't answer prayers in the way that we think he will. So, for example, you know, for me, I have been praying for years, if I'm honest, that I'd get married, and that hasn't happened. But what I want when I'm praying that actually is companionship. So I can spend my time thinking about the fact that God hasn't given me what I asked for, or I can spend my time thanking God for the fact that he has given me the most incredible and amazing friends who love me dearly, and that I have great companionship. And I just think the mindset... It's totally different. Um, The Apostle Paul writes in the Bible, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And actually, the truth is our circumstances will never satisfy us. Uh, There's always going to be something in life that we're not happy about. There's always going to be something that's not quite right. There's always going to be suffering around us and pain and things that don't turn out the way we hope they do. But Jesus offers a satisfaction and a fulfillment that's not based on our circumstances, but on who he is and also on who he says you are. Because if you're a Christian, he says you're a child of God, dearly loved. And actually, if you're not a Christian, he says you're still dearly loved by the God who created the universe. That actually, the God who created everything that exists knows you and cares about you. And he cares about the fine points of your life. He cares about the detail of your life. And he's created you in his image. And you are designed to have intimacy with God. That is who you are. And I just love this quote um, by John Piper, where it says, he is doing a thousand things for you and for his glory in your disappointed plans. 
So often we don't know what God's doing. We don't have the big picture. We only get to see today and we get to focus on kind of what's going on around us. But God sees the big picture. And if we trust him that he is totally good and totally loving and utterly trustworthy, then we can trust him in the midst of disappointment as well. Philip Yancey says, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Janair, can you and the band come back up? Um, One day we will see and we will understand. But we don't get to see and understand everything now. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and I'll solve all your problems. But he does say, I'll meet you in the midst of disappointment. And in the midst of disappointment, you can die to some things that you've been putting all your hope and all your identity in. You can gaze upon him and find true fulfillment and satisfaction in the one who loves you. And you can thank him for the good things that he's given you in your life. So what I'd love for us to do is, if you feel in any way, I'm going to ask you to kind of be brave. If you, if you feel like you've been disappointed with God, whether it's about a small thing, whether it's about a big thing, can I ask you to stand? I think disappointment with God is such a common thing and it's so important that we deal with it and God wants to meet us in the middle of it and I have real faith for breakthrough moments for those who've stood this morning I believe that God is going to come and meet with you in the midst of the disappointment that you feel but it doesn't it doesn't work like you stand and then you're never going to feel disappointed in God again it's not going to work like someone's going to pray for you and you'll never feel disappointed in God again but he does promise you he will meet you in the midst of it And that he will love you in the midst of it. And that he will bring his compassion and his kindness. Do you know that in the midst of our disappointment, God isn't wanting to beat it out of us with a stick. God is coming to us with a tender heart that loves us, that feels compassion and and kindness towards us. What struck me is the kindness of God to me in the midst of my disappointment. For all my kind of running away from him and putting up a fight. He hasn't come and wrestled me to the ground. Actually, he's come to me with kindness that's drawn me back to him. So if you're near someone who's standing and you're part of this church, you call this church your family and your home, maybe if you're near someone, just go and pray for them if you want to. But I'd love to, I'd love to pray and then we're going to worship again. Father, I'm so thankful to you that you are a good father, that you are always good to us always loving, always kind, always compassionate, always gracious, always merciful. Thank you that you are so good. And thank you that though you don't promise us an easy life, though you don't promise us that you will magically wipe away all our problems and all our suffering, you do promise us eternal hope, eternal justice, eternal peace, eternal love, eternal security in you. We're so grateful to know you and love you, but we're so much more grateful that you know us and you love us. And I just want to pray that you would bring breakthrough this morning. For those who've stood, those who've had the courage to stand up and admit that they felt disappointed in you, I pray that there'd be breakthrough moments this morning. Jesus, would you come and just overwhelm people with your love and your grace and your kindness again? Would you come and meet with people where they're at? I pray for people who need to die 
to the things that they've hoped for and the things they've put their identity in, the things that have actually become idolized in their lives. I pray you'd help them to die to it and to say to you, God, you know what? If you never answer that prayer, I'll still follow you. And I pray you'd help us to gaze again at you, Jesus. You're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. I pray that you'd help us to fix our eyes on you again and be captivated and caught up in wonder at who you are again because you're amazing. And help us to be grateful for all that you've done in our lives. Help us to overflow with gratitude towards you. In Jesus' name.